Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victoria Benyon, and the founder of the Victoria Benyon Podcast Booking Agency. And you're listening to The Best Guest, the podcast for business owners, creatives, and entrepreneurs who want to harness the power of podcasts to grow their platforms and increase their visibility. We're here to support you on your journey, bringing you actionable tips with each episode. Now, let's begin. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of The Best Guest. Today, we're joined by Ange Anderson. Ange is one of our clients and someone I really find inspiring, which is why I'm delighted to welcome her to the podcast today. Ange opened and led an innovative specialist school in North Wales for 10 years, introducing over 25 different therapeutic technological interventions to support pupils with learning differences. She's written a number of books in these areas, including VR, AR and AI in SEN, Trampolining for Children and Young People with SEN, Music, Sound and Vibration in SEN and Learning Through Play for SEN, all published by Routledge. Welcome to the podcast, Ange. How are you doing today in the stormy weather? Hi, Victoria. Well, it hasn't started yet, so fingers crossed. <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. So you live in a really beautiful part of the world, I believe, don't you, in North Wales? Yeah, if I could show you the photos outside this window, you would be very impressed. It's beautiful. Yeah, Snowdonia Mountains are just over there. <laughs> oh, really? So my husband's from North Wales. I'm not sure if I've ever told you that but we've been to Betsacoid when we've visited he's got family up there still very pretty you're very lucky do you do much walking yes yes I I love walking in Snowdonia I mean gosh I think you could do that forever and never tire of it I'm sure that's right we live in Dorset oh that's oh I love Dorset I thought I thought Dorset's pretty but my husband's like it's not Snowdonia Oh, I think you've got the best of both worlds, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I quite, I'm quite fond of it. So, and you opened and led an innovative specialist school in North Wales for ten years. What challenges did you face in setting up a special school? Well, quite um, huge challenges, to be honest, Victoria. I come from a an all age special school. And I was coming to a school, well, to three schools that were closing. Two of them had children with profound and multiple learning difficulties as their their main main intake. And they were both very small special schools and they had no real facilities. And um, the other school was a a very large, um, moderate learning difficulty school that were very strict with their uptake. So they didn't take children with severe autism or challenging behaviour or so on. There was another school that caters specifically for children with autism. When I took on the school, I was to introduce children with all of the all of those except for the moderate learning difficulties which as you know um, would have been going into mainstream schools so um, my type of children that we were taking on board Mm -hmm. were children with the severe autism that hadn't been in there before children with the PMLD complex learning um, difficulties some with um, emotional and behavioral difficulties a whole gamut really and the the challenge that I found was that the staff, because they came from such, they, I employed the staff from those three schools. I had to interview, oh gosh, oh well over a hundred, probably hundred and fifty staff, um, and then and, and then tailor it down to the, the staff that I required for the 
um, primary mm -hmm. age school that I was opening. So the children that I was going to be working with were from age two to 11. And um, the staff had either been teaching secondary, I forgot to say the moderate learning difficulties for secondary age children. So the staff had only experience, the majority of staff you see, because that was the largest school, only had experience of working with children with moderate learning difficulties. So they had no experience and, and no knowledge of therapies or technologies that would be applicable and would be needed for children who had profound and multiple learning difficulties. And some of the staff, I remember meeting them, were, were aghast, they didn't want to teach them. They didn't want to uh -huh. work with them. They they were they they were fearful of working with children with those kinds of difficulties. And and a lot of them certainly didn't want to work with children who had severe autism because they didn't know what to do. So a lot of my time and um, money, uh, a lot of it, I had to find the funding for um, because you know there's there's never enough money in any school, and particularly a special school, um, and then. A lot of time we petitioned the government, as did the other special schools I worked with in the area, for more um, training time for staff because we needed to train staff in how to work with these children because, you know, it's, it's no good blaming the children for things that are going wrong if you haven't been trained in how to work with those children. And what I, what I found was once the staff had been trained to work with those children, the problem ceased so it wasn't what right. it, it, it was you know knowing how to work with children with those specific learning difficulties that they had the many different uh, what we have to remember is all children in a special school would be neurodiverse as opposed to neurotypical neurotypical children generally go to a mainstream school although obviously neurodiverse do to a certain extent if they've got asperger or anything else if downstream children are neurodivergent you know any anything where um the brain anything where where a condition affects the brain means that you're neurodivergent so so it's not as a lot of people seem to think that only if you're autistic are you neurodivergent that's a load of rubbish obviously you know yeah absolutely and I think there's a lot of education that needs to take place around what that is, doesn't yeah, it? Yes, definitely. Because, I mean, neurodivergent um, is just about the neurodiversity paradigm is a viewpoint that brain differences are normal rather than deficits. Neurodivergent people experience, interact and interpret the world in, in unique ways. And um, I would say, uh, obviously, as I've said, all students in the special school are neurodivergent. And neurodiversity isn't a diagnosis and can't be because it's not a label like autism or Down syndrome. Neurodiversity is a social concept. And the term was coined by a sociologist, um, Judy Singer, in the, in the 90s. And so, you know, it's not, um, it, it's not a diagnosis. And I, I prefer when I'm talking about children with learning differences to use that, that word learning differences, because if you can find out the way that they learn differently, then, then you can help them. You can find the way that they're going to learn okay. successfully, and then you can help them. So if you understand and not give all these different terminologies to excuse the situation and to forget about it, it's about, okay, so they learn differently. How do they learn? How can I help them to learn better? Mm -hmm. What is yes. the secret for them? Is there a technology that's going to help them in this day and age? Or is there a therapy that's going to help them be in the right frame of mind to learn? Absolutely, absolutely. And you've written a number of books 
yes on the different therapies and technology haven't you that will that will help children so what technologies did you have you found most effective you find the way that a child learns best or you find what helps them to be in the right frame of mind to learn so it's different horses for different courses so for instance for a child we had great success with who had ADHD he was having 30 incidences of behavior a week it was really um, quite serious and we introduced neurofeedback into the school because I had obviously studied a lot about it Mm -hmm. and knew that it could help children with ADHD and within 10 days of him receiving neurofeedback every single day the incidences of behavior went down from 30 a week to at the most five a month. My goodness. Neurofeedback worked for him His carer, his auntie who brought him up, came to see me after the 10 days of him receiving it. And she came to see me on the nights, turned up in my office. She said, I had to come and see you, Angie. I just had to come and see you. Because she said, I can't believe the difference. She said he used to not sleep at night. He couldn't sleep at all. And she said, I now stand by his bedroom door watching him sleep because I am just so thrilled. He was 10 years old and he hadn't slept since he'd been born. He hadn't been able to sleep. And I mean, that was that particular therapy for him. So I've been obviously looking into that a lot. That We used NeuroOptimal, and that cost us 12 grand in school. It's a very heavy, heavy piece of um, machinery, and they wear these uh, particular sensors on their head. Okay. And it's got no adverse effects whatsoever. But now Mendy has brought out a portable. I should have brought it with me now. I've written about it on my website which is amjandersontherapeutic.co.uk. So I tell you about Mendy and I've used it and how successful that is. Now that is only, I I mean, you're talking about 12 grand with your optimal. You're talking about $369 for a Mendy. And the children or the adult can use it by themselves. And you do, but it's like with anything, it's like with physical exercise. You have to do 10 minutes a day of it. Now, with, with the boy that we had in school, and we've used it with several people, I just gave him this example. So we would use it with him for 20 minutes a day to start with. Now, with the uh, Mendy, you could do 20 minutes a day, certainly, if that's what you decided was, was what you needed. I would start with 10 minutes a day and keep the text so that it becomes a habit every day. It's quite nice. There's a, a, a particular thing on there that you've got to watch. And 10 minutes is over and you just get on and do other things. So for me at the moment, it's quite exciting because I've been using it for a while to assess it. I've used it with three children. You know, it's still working out what the effects of that that is on them. Because as I said earlier, different horses for different courses. Some things work for some people. Toby eye gaze was another thing that we use for children. Um, That's a technology that's used for children who can't communicate, they can't talk. And because of their physical difficulties, they can't sign. And so a Toby eye gaze allows their eyes to communicate and to talk. That is just phenomenal. And the difference that caused to one of our boys in school who'd been diagnosed as PMLD, we found through the use of eye gaze, he wasn't PMLD at all. He was quite quite a bright little boy. And he went on to having a Toby eye gaze, a portable one um, onto his wheelchair. And he was able to communicate very well with that. In fact, he told a teacher assistant to go and have a lunch the one day by using eye gaze. Wow. 
well. These kinds of technologies are amazing. Um, Soundbeam is, is another one, and Skoog, both of them are music technologies that allow somebody to compose and create music who can't move at all. It might just be moving in their eyelid. It might be just a tiny flicker of a finger. It might be their eyebrows. It could be just the tiniest bit that actually allows them to communicate and create and compose music. So that's Sandbeam and Skoog. Um, Vibroacoustic therapy is, um, is a phenomenal therapy that I, I'm trained in. And um, it's um, Olaf Skile um, invented it, a Norwegian um, in, in the 1980s, I think it was, brilliant man. And um, there is the Skile Institute now, which is where I've trained in vibroacoustic therapy. And I absolutely adore vibroacoustic therapy for a different reason to, to neurofeedback. In that if you think about the universe and what it's made up of, it's made up of vibration. That is what it's made up of. Well, vibroacoustic therapy is vibration. So one of my boys who had severe autism, um, challenging behavior with it, would actually, because he got used to using vibroacoustic therapy, I smile thinking about a gorgeous one. He would come and look for me over lunchtime, take my hand and take me to the vibroacoustic room Aww. to let him stay in there. And he'd go, and I managed to get a charity to donate a, a waterbed to, um, to the school. And he would lie on that waterbed. We'd turn on the vibroacoustic machine and he would all, all it, he would feel the vibrations, not hear them, feel the vibrations. And it had for him a hugely calming effect. For other um, children, certainly children who, who were immobile, it's, it would help them with their constipation and things like that. So vibroacoustic therapy helped in so many different ways. So that's another technology. Auditory integration therapy, I'm trained in that. And filtered sound training, I'm trained in that. Those are sound therapies that, um, for instance, you would use I think I talked to you privately before about doing the sensory profile. By doing mm -hmm. a sensory profile, you find out whether it, which one of these areas might help the most. So, for instance, auditory integration therapy and filtered sound therapy for somebody who's perhaps their autism is more of an auditory autism. So they find difficulty hearing what people are saying. So filtered sound and auditory integration training. I hate it when I haven't got the name of the person. Very famous French man, beginning with B. Oh, gosh his name would come to me anyway he um, invented um auditory integration therapy and i went to his memoriam a few few months after he died Burad, Burad, his name is um canadian french canadian and when i went there i was so overcome by what it had done for some children with autism one girl she couldn't stand going a certain way to school and they didn't understand why because she could hear all the drains in the hotels because they passed hotels to go to school and she could hear the drains. Nobody else could hear them. In school, she could hear the lights flickering in the classroom. Nobody else could hear them. Her sounds were so sensitive. So it just so happened that they happened to be in the right place at the right time, found out about Barat, took her there. And she was, she was very challenging. She couldn't talk or anything. And they took her there when I think she was about 10, but don't quote me on that. And anyway, they took her to him and she started auditory integration therapy. Now, what that is, is that it's all different pieces of music, but like there's pieces of it missing. So you, you think you're listening to a, a song and then there's all bits of it missing as you're listening to it, you know. But that is training. Because when you're born, you think of it now, you're born and... You, you're not going to be completely perfect. You know, it's like there might be a tiny bit that needs tuning up. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you do with auditory integration therapy. You're tuning up that ear to brain um, connection that might not have been completely tuned up when you were born. So you're tuning that up. And then as a result of that, and as a result of her having that training, she went on to become, to um, go to university, to get several degrees. She was taught and all the rest of it. She's got a, a fantastic business, all because she found the key. She found that auditory integration therapy, filtered sound therapy was what she needed, which is why I've said to you before, you have to do a sensory profile on every child that comes into school. So you can see, well, what? Auditory integration therapy wouldn't have worked for the boy who needed neurofeedback training. It wouldn't have worked for the person who needed vibroacoustic therapy. We're all individuals. And as to what therapy is going to, what, what technology is going to work for us, you know, you need to find out. So that's, that's technologies or some of the technologies I've worked with, but there are loads of therapies that I've worked with that have been hugely successful for other children. Could you talk about some of those? Well, there's hydrotherapy. So hydrotherapy is, it's not a warm bath, but it is a, a warm pool. And when, when I opened the school, they hadn't had a hydrotherapy pool before. And so these children, um, some of them with profound and multiple learning difficulties, they can't move or anything. So, you know, just think they're stuck in a wheelchair all the time. So my aim was to get them out of that wheelchair, doing different therapies, having different things and not being stuck in that same position all the time. Now, certainly in the past, what they would have had is they would have received some physiotherapy and all the rest of it we're of an age now where that's not enough yeah they need to be able to go to a school that caters for their needs for their cognitive needs for their therapeutic needs and the thing is you see because they are going to have to survive in the world long after they leave school these things to my mind should be continued which is why I opened a thing in the evening as well but that's another story so (laughs) Hydrotherapy is, so I, I can remember one girl went into hydrotherapy, never had it before. Her parents came to see me a couple of days later and said she was sleeping for the first time ever because the hydrotherapy was calming and relaxing her. So she would come in the afternoons. And for me, you see, if they've got profound and multiple limb difficulties, then they're the ones who should be using the pool because they can't move at all. Some, some people would disagree. And I've certainly worked in schools where they thought it was feasible for children with autism and Asperger to use the hydrotherapy pool. I think if you've got, if those are the only children that you've got in your school, then it is feasible. I do know that we had huge difficulty getting them out of the pool to catch the, the best <laughs> hole. <laughs> I can imagine. But children with profound and multiple learning difficulties, this is their only, time, their only chance of freedom. It's the yes. only time where they get to move and they do move. They move their legs, they, they move about the pool and they communicate and all the rest of it. So hydrotherapy is a great therapy for children with profound and multiple learning difficulties and for children who've suffered an illness. Trampolining, the book I've written on trampolining is certainly, it's certainly about different types of trampoline and different uses for trampolining, depending on whether you have autism or ADHD or dyslexia or dyspraxia or whether you've got profound or multiple learning difficulties. And there are different methods, Rebound therapy is very popular for profound and multiple, there are different ways 
piece of the teaching trampolining depending on the child really yes it has it, it's totally different so then as well as hydrotherapy trampolining there's tack pack which is a touch therapy art therapy obviously play therapy is huge and one of the play therapies if it's if it's a school or parents who obviously can't afford to pay in for a, an actual play therapist, which we train some of our staff in play therapy, but there's also venture into play, which is a very cost-effective way of doing it. So just search VIP venture into play online. That's excellent. And I, I use both venture into play as well as having qualified play therapists. My staff, I would always train my staff in all of these so that they had another skill another string to their bow um, to, to give them the confidence in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. You know, this is, you know, I'm good at my job. I'm, I'm delivering this for the children and so on and so forth. So um, play therapy, reflexology, trained one of the staff in reflexology. And for some of the children, um, certainly some of those with severe autism, challenging behaviour, they would go into her first thing in the morning and they something might have happened on the bus on the way to school because mm -hmm. a lot of our children are transported and they would go into her and they'd have it and the same with music therapy as well we trained staff in music therapy I think in the time I was there the 10 years I was there I trained three different members of staff as one member of staff retired as one left we trained somebody else as a music therapist and there's some great courses which I in my book on music therapy I tell you how you can train in music therapy quite cost effectively. So there's music therapy and sound baths, meditation, yoga. We trained our staff in, in that as well. Pet therapy is fantastic. Having pets in school, that's really good for some children. Soft play. If you've got the room to have a soft play room, a white room and a dark room. A soft play room is good for children. Mm -hmm. We've got the trajectory schema. So we've all got schemas and, and the schemas are very, very important as, as we grow and develop as children, as, as, as adults. We're still developing, developing our schemas. Well, the trajectory schema is something where children throw a lot. So you will get sometimes in a challenging behaviour school or whatever, where a child might throw a chair in the morning or something. Something might have happened. Well, the thing, the secret is, you see, if you've got a soft playroom and in that soft playroom, you've got large soft balls and things like that they can go in that room first thing in the morning they can get rid of that trajectory schema that, that they're going through by throwing the ball or sometimes you can, you can get those soft punch bags that they have in some of these yes, places yeah, I've seen those. and they can get rid of that that schema that they need to go through using that and then when they go back to class they are in the right frame of mind to be able to get on with whatever they need to do. So there's sound baths. That's another a beautiful way of listening to vibrations and sound. Um, children, particularly with PMLD, seem to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. There's binaural beats, which you may have heard of, where you have to have both headphones in. Um, I write about that in my music therapy book, both headphones in and you can do all sorts with binaural beats. It's like a kind of meditation, but it's like a subliminal. But you have to have both headphones in, otherwise it, it doesn't work because it, it's, again, it's a vibration. It works on the vibrations in your body and the sounds in your body. Mm -hmm. You can do binaural beats if you go on YouTube for beauty, for different aspects of beauty that you want to improve. Yeah. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so you can do binaural beats for educational purposes or health purposes. 
you can do it for anything. So just Google or, or put the search thing in, in um, YouTube, binaural beats and whatever you're interested in, and it will come up with something for you. But like I say, don't just turn it on and don't have any headphones in because there's no point turning it on at all if you do that. Because the sounds go, that come into your ears are different in each one. And it's the matcher. That's what you want. That's the bit that does it. I see. That's so fascinating. I'd not heard of that before. And then, of course, there's sensory therapies. So there's a mass of different sensory therapies that would you, you would use according to the needs of that child. So the sensory profile would help you to assess that. So it might be visual therapies that you're using. It might be touch therapies that you're using. And then you might use the dark room or the white room for those different therapies. So you always need to start with a sensory profile. Is that kind of your starting point? And then from there... Yeah, I would would say without a sensory profile, you'd stab him in the dark, to be honest. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Going back to the trampoline therapy, I was just really interested in that. Is there a certain type of trampoline? Is it, is it something that parents can incorporate at home? I suppose that's where I'm coming from, really. You can in that you can get a mini trampoline. And certainly in some classes, in all different types of schools, to be honest, in EBD schools, in, in um, all through special schools, even in mainstream schools, some classes, some forward-thinking teachers would have a mini trampoline in the corner of the class or an area of the class. And if that's what that child requires, they will have a timer where they go off and they will have a go on that trampoline and then go back and do their work. That works extremely successful in some schools. So, you know, you can have the larger trampolines. And I must admit, I, I had both in my school. So it, it suited different types of children's needs. It does depend on what the child is diagnosed with as to what you would do on that trampoline regarding them. So, for instance, a child with ADHD might be very excitable on the trampoline. So you'd have certain methods and controls that you would use with them as opposed to somebody certainly somebody who's dyspraxic on a trampoline who's very clumsy and and tripping and so on you would have different things for those somebody with pmld who can't move at all obviously there's a whole different program for them somebody somebody with autism totally different program again for them the book that i've written explains the different ways that you need to be with the children to get a successful lesson because otherwise, if you're trying to teach everybody in the same way, it's, it's going to be a catastrophe because uh, it's, it's like trying to teach to the whole class of 30 children and thinking that everybody is going to benefit. I mean, that really is the olden, the olden days and the old way of teaching. You can't teach to 30 children and expect every single one of them to benefit from that. No, you can't, can you? I mean, I just think about my son's class, so mainstream school, and there's certainly a handful that are not going to learn in that, that traditional way. They're not going to benefit from That's that. Right. Exactly. And then there's the huge waiting lists to get to the specialist schools. So I heard that one of our local schools, I think there's like 120 children who want a place there and they can't fulfill it. So it's used for teachers in mainstream schools to know some of these things that you're talking about. There are ever such a lot of things online now, and there's certainly a lot of good good online programs now for teaching teachers and students, you know, particularly for students in introducing them to um, autism and ADHD and all the other things. What's lacking really, I suppose, is in teaching students and teachers in the different therapeutic 
interventions and the technological interventions that they could actually use to make their lives easier in class and to make lives better for those students in class. And instead of thinking of some of those students as actually having behavioural issues, it might actually be that we need to teach the way those children learn instead of those expecting those children to learn the way we teach. We have to change the way we teach so that they can learn and we teach the way that they learn best. That's that's the answer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You don't just write nonfiction, though, do you? You also write fiction book. I certainly wrote a picture book for young children, which is, and I illustrated it. So it's um, Pumunki Deridas and Kwarnit, which is translated into English as well, which is Five Mischievous Monkeys Playing Hide and Seek. So I wrote and illustrated that for young children then I also wrote a series of books for age 9 to 12 um, and those are the Seren series so the first one is Seren which is about um, a young girl who goes up to North Wales and um, the adventures that she has up there she goes from Cardiff to North Wales and then the second series she goes across to Ireland and enters, um, she loves fashion, so she goes across to Ireland and enters a fashion competition. And then the third one in the series is she encounters autism, and her friend, who a friend who she made, Seanad, has a brother who has autism. And they go to um, the cosplay event in Edinburgh, and she finds that her brother actually does enjoy dressing up in, in cosplay. Um, so, yeah, so it's three of the series. There was supposed to be a fourth one in London, obviously, because <laughs> we've done Wales and Ireland and Scotland. But um, I've been so busy with educational books, I haven't got around to it. And I'm currently writing a um, 17th century science fiction. Oh, my goodness. Which is taking up... um, all of my mind space at the moment as if you write you you realize yeah I can imagine so do you tend to work on one project at a time the thing is if you're doing an educational book or or articles as I'm attending a conference at the end of next week so I've had to do a presentation for that I can do that as well as continue with the novel I think I wouldn't be able to do two novels at the same time and I wouldn't be able to do two entirely different educational things at the same time because you need to concentrate on that specific area. And so you couldn't write, for instance, I think it would be ridiculous to try and write two novels at the same time. But you could write a novel and um, presentations, because I'm, I'm doing that, so you must be able to. What was the first book that you wrote? The Future of Special Schools and Therapeutic Intervention. So I wrote that with a lot of staff in the school that I was head of. The staff did a chapter as well. And then any money from that book goes directly back to the school. None of us profit from that. Oh, that's really good. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all about your books and those subjects. So if anyone listening wants to learn more about you and your work, where is the best place for them to go? It would be to my website, which is sandjaandersontherapeutic.co.uk. And on that channel, you can find out about all the different books. You can read my blogs. One I've written yesterday was about neurofeedback and the use of Mendy. And there's also links on my website to my YouTube channel, which shows you um, information about lots of the different therapies that we've talked about and perhaps some that we haven't talked about today. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. I'll put a link to those in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Victoria. <laughs> Did it, did
visit www.victoriabenyon.com to book a free podcast guesting strategy session with one of our team. Using the information you provide when you book, we'll get to know you and your business better so you get the most value from your strategy call. You will come away from this 30-minute session with huge value. We'll share our top tips for being a podcast guest and up to five suggestions of perfect fit podcasts you can approach. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Guest Podcast today. I'll talk to you again in the next episode.